Hello and welcome to this podcast from day two of the 2011 conference of the British Society for Gene Therapy, the BSGT, and its European counterpart, the ESGCT. I'm Mira Senthilingam from The Naked Scientists. Today saw over 700 delegates start their day with the first of the plenary lectures, which included presentations on clinical trials currently taking place using gene therapy to treat heart disease patients, as well as the use of this method to treat immunodeficiency. Also on the bill was the treatment of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a genetic disorder affecting 1 in 3,500 males. The method presented wasn't one delivering replacement genes, but instead inducing the skipping of exons in a DMD patient's DNA. Francesco Montoni from University College London is leading the research. Well, firstly, boys with Duchenne essentially are born with a normal muscle. But because it lacks a protein... There are a number of different strategies aim at improving the production of the defective proteins of these individuals. Uh, they essentially are in three parallel camps. One is stem cell therapy, one is gene therapy, and the third is that of genetic therapies using, if you like, uh, non-gene therapy uh, or non-viral vector uh, gene therapy approaches. And this last one is the one we have concentrating, although I'm fully aware there is a lot of good work done in other areas. Uh, So our work has been that of trying to identify uh, antisense oligonucleotides that um, modify the pre- pre-messenger RNA splicing of the dystrophin gene so that the mutations that most of the children with Duchenne have can be trimmed and uh, put in frame again and uh, this allows the production of a internally shortened but uh, certainly partially functional molecule. This can be done in a safe way in children receiving intravenous administration of this antisense oligonucleotide. And we have shown that repeated administration of this antisense uh, for a period of up to three months lead in the higher dose cohort the production of dystrophin that really ranges between 10 and 20%. And these levels are encouraging levels. This level of dystrophin certainly will not be the cure of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, but are expected to cause a functional benefit to these children and to those those muscles. Francesco Mentoni from University College London. Later in the morning, parallel sessions broke out, one of which delved into the use of gene therapy to treat respiratory disorders. UCL's Simon Waddington was the chair. So uh, today I was chairing the um, session on respiratory gene and cell therapy. So there were two invited speakers who were Uta uh, Griesenbach and uh, Daniel Weiss and then there were three proffered uh, talks from Hiroyuki Inui, uh, Mariana Carlin and from Maria Limbris. Uta was giving an overview of their clinical trials and preclinical work on treating cystic fibrosis using uh, DNA conjugated with lipids. Uh, Daniel was talking about stem cell therapy uh, and how it's progressed over the past 10 years And were there any, I guess, new discoveries or kind of key areas of research that were addressed during their talks? So obviously one of the hot areas is stem cell therapy. And so people are learning more and more about the types of cells uh, which might be used to regenerate the lungs. And of course, uh, in the news over the past year or so, uh, there's been some very exciting news where they've actually grown 
tracheas essentially in a test tube and then they've actually used those clinically to treat patients that have had to have tracheal replacements. And Daniel addressed, I guess, the use of that and I guess the future of that potentially. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so uh, one of the things that people are looking at now, uh, taking organs, decellularizing them, in other words, removing the, the, the host cells and then recellularizing them with, with stem cells from the host, in other words, so you can actually prevent the, the rejection of the organ transplant. And uh, is that looking like quite a promising treatment in the future? What stage is it actually at at the moment? I think recellularising stuff is difficult because you've got to, to have the cells then turn into the, the 40 or so cell types that Daniel was alluding to and also to get the same sort of physical properties that you've actually... or to retain the physical properties of, of the lungs in this case. But for some simpler structures like, like the trachea, um, obviously this is showing some, some great promise. And um, a variety of different vectors and other diseases were also mentioned during the profit papers. Yes. So, uh, as I'm sure you know already, is there are three different main types of, of uh, vector for treating genetic diseases, monogenetic diseases. There's uh, AAV, there's adenovirus, and there's lentivirus. But actually is that Hiroyuki was talking about looking at different um, viruses for treating cancer cells, and there that's quite a different area of research because you're looking at quite a wide range of, of oncolytic viruses, in other words, viruses that, that actually that burst apart cancer cells. And so he actually he was mentioning a whole range of different viruses that they've screened for that purpose. There are a spectrum of lung diseases, and there's therefore going to be a variety of different clinical cell therapy approaches. Now, this is a field that's developed... I'm Dan Weiss. I'm an associate professor of medicine at the University of Vermont. The concept that I've been talking about today is the idea that cells could be utilized to repair damaged tissue, and, and these are predominantly stem cells and whether or not they can be injected and utilized to structurally repair lungs inside of the body or whether or not they can be utilized to help grow lung tissue outside of the body for subsequent use in transplantation is a field that has really emerged from nowhere and is expected to progress rapidly and in a very exciting manner over the very short time period. There has been some very compelling work in the past year and a half that has taken what really is a science fiction concept. The overall concept of tissue engineering has been around for a number of years, and it is now quite feasible and is actually clinically done to grow tissues such as muscle or cartilage or bone and uh, use them. Uh, the idea of doing this for a more complicated organ like the lung up until recently has been much more daunting. But several proof-of-concept studies have uh, recently been published has opened up a window on, I think, a very exciting field. My name is Uta Griesenbach. I'm a reader or associate professor at Imperial College in London. I have presented work uh, today that was um, performed in the UK Cystic Fibrosis Gene Therapy Consortium and over the last 10 years we have developed a program of work aimed at assessing if uh, gene transfer of the CF gene into the lungs of CF patients can improve lung disease. So our main um, point of success, which is called our primary endpoint, is going to be an improvement in lung function. And in cystic fibrosis patients, this is measured 
or I should say it's called um, FEV1, which means it's the amount of air you can breathe out in one second. And in a normal person that you know, has a certain value, in CF patients that value is reduced. So we're trying to improve and bring that value up to normal values. And um, our clinical trial program will finish in 2014, and we will then have the answer to that question. Uta Griesenbach from Imperial College London and before her, Daniel Weiss from the University of Vermont College of Medicine and Simon Waddington from UCL. Now, as well as the successes using gene therapy techniques to treat various diseases, there are also many concerns as this field progresses in terms of the repercussions of introducing new genes as well as the potential for toxic side effects, as Chris Baum from the Hanover Medical School explained in the afternoon plenary. And a phenomenon that we classified as phenotoxicity in a review published some years ago, where we said that should be maybe the term used for transgene product-mediated toxicity. Yeah, genotoxicity describes uh, the situation that a therapeutic gene put into the genome of a cell uh, happens to disrupt or activate a normal cellular gene to a level that has functional consequences so that the cell has, for instance, abnormal cell growth induced, which could eventually give rise to cancer. And phenotoxicity is a term that we have introduced to say that there could also be side effects, of course, of overexpressed transgene products, typically proteins. They could then also disturb cellular homeostasis and alter cell fate in a multicellular organism. And we also have an example where this occurs when we try to repair genetic defect in which a so-called signaling protein is affected, a receptor which has to be expressed at a very low level for normal function. And are there any case studies or examples where such toxic effects have been seen? There is um, examples in three clinical trials in the world so far for that genotoxic effects leading to a severe leukemia-like disorder. Uh, Two trials um, um, have been conducted in one rare disease, SCID-X1, severe combined immunodeficiency, uh, affecting young boys. Um, One case was observed here in Great Britain, four such cases in France over the past years, and another um, clinical condition affecting um, other white blood cells. A similar constellation has been found in a German gene therapy trial. So it's a recurrent event, but so far only seen with, let's say, old-fashioned vector technology. And so I guess how can these be accounted for when designing future gene therapies? We have to learn to uh, understand the underlying mechanism how this occurs, how frequent that is, and uh, what are the forces in the organism that lead to the selection of these rare mutants. And we can prevent um, these side effects with improved vector design and also improved general treatment of the patients undergoing gene therapy. Chris Baum from the Hanover Medical School. Finishing off the day was another round of breakout sessions, looking into careers in gene therapy the regulatory measures needed to control emerging techniques and also applications in cellular differentiation, such as the formation of pancreatic cells as a treatment for diabetes. Uh, My name is Professor Sarah Ferber. I'm from Israel, uh, Tel Aviv University and Shiba Medical Center. We are studying how to generate insulin-producing cells 
by converting the diabetic patients on other tissues. So we just take a, either liver biopsy or skin biopsy. We can propagate it and uh, by a process called reprogramming, activate the pancreatic lineage in extra pancreatic tissues. So how do you set about actually reprogramming these cells and, and making them into, I guess, what the pancreatic cells that you want? Using small factors that control pancreas organogenesis in the embryo. And what we found out is when you ectopically or artificially express it, express these factors in other adult tissues, they actually impose a new developmental fate. And the other thing is that we the whole process can be induced in each one of our tissues. So actually you can go to the most accessible tissue and just activate the pancreatic lineage. What are these factors that you're using and how effective have they proven to be in your tests so far? Uh, we are using transcription factors. They are quite efficient, but they are not the end of the story. We have to improve this method before we are going to its clinical Im implementation. Before taking it into the clinic, I guess that uh, we will want to increase it several fold. We started with 10%, now we are at 60%. I guess we are getting closer and closer. Sarah Farber from the Sheba Medical Center in Tel Aviv. Now that's it for today's podcast, but join me tomorrow for day three as we explore the applications of gene therapy to treat inherited blindness and also fight the development of cancers. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Mira Senthilingam.